Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. People are dying. People are dying. America's cities are being ravaged by murder right now. And I, I think it's important for everyone to understand before we go into all this. We're going to have a great special tonight. We're going to go into the reasons why. I think it's important for everyone to understand these are real people. Now, you see news clips or you see a headline and it just you see a number like over 500 dead in Philadelphia. But that's 500 people, 500 unique souls dead. So let's understand the stakes of what we're talking about here. America is currently being ravaged by crime, ravaged by crime. Why? Let's talk about why. We sure we're ready to talk about this? First, St. George Floyd died. You remember that. The St. George Floyd video that flooded the internet and then we had these anti-police riots all across America with all these defund the police initiatives. We had them all across the country. And as a result, cities across America began to defund the police take radical steps to get cops 
off the streets. New York City, they removed the plainclothes cops, the ones who were out there proactively stopping crime. Cities like Austin, Texas slashed $150 million from the police budget. Cities like Los Angeles slashing budgets. Minneapolis slashing budgets. And now what is the what is the result been? What is the result been? Disaster. Absolute disaster. And while all this insanity was going on, cities burning, we had Democrat after Democrat after Democrat going on television, pundits and politicians alike, encouraging this kind of insane lawlessness. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. That ain't a riot, what we're seeing right now in Minneapolis. They are strictly principled anti-fascists, and they've taken a principled stand to stand against white supremacists and white nationalists wherever they may show up. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. It says it right in the name, Antifa, anti-fascism, which is what they were there um, fighting. Listen, there's... You know, no organization is perfect. There was some violence. Any reasonable person would say we shouldn't be destroying other people's property. But these are not reasonable times. But thank goodness for the looters, man. And please show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. I don't care that much about statutes. Shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? People will do what they do. Do what they do. Show me where a protest is supposed to be polite and peaceful. While America's cities were burning last year, America's politicians and pundits were all over the television (laughs) cheering the whole thing on, encouraging it. And so now, where are we? Well, there's more to it. You see, that defunded the police. That handcuffed the police, if you'll pardon the pun, in cities across the United States of America. But there's another thing that happened last year or started happening in waves last year, and it's still happening today. Criminals kept getting released from jail. Remember that happened in St. Louis? I remember when St. Louis was burning, rest in peace, David Dorn, when St. Louis was being torched, they were just turning so many of the crooks loose in city after city after city that would catch these guys committing acts of violence, arson, vandalism, and they would just say, oh, you're, you're, you're good. Oh, if, well, we can't keep him. That wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be equitable. Why, though? Why? I mean, Kamala Harris herself is calling to bail these people out of jail back in 2020. Remember that? Oh, it's fine. She, there she is, raising money for the Freedom Fund. Should, should be noted, one of those guys bailed out by the Freedom Fund went right on to murder somebody. But why? Why the commitment to turn people loose from jail? Is this because of equity? Is it because of racism? we got to stop this racism. You know, that's how they always sell things. Well, pause there for a moment and let's talk about why. Because we're going to get into Waukesha and all kinds of things, but let's talk about why. Why do they turn violent criminals loose? They're communists. And that's what communists do. From Lenin's days. Lenin used to write about this all the time. This is not like something the communists, the early communists, hid. They understood they wanted to turn open the jails so violent criminals would go out and commit more acts of violence. But that doesn't make sense to the normal mind, right? That gets confusing. You're probably sitting there saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. Who would do that on purpose? Well, you must understand something because this is going to keep happening in this country. Violent criminals are going to keep getting turned loose and they're going to keep killing people and hurting people. 
This is done on purpose. They know when they turn that violent piece of trash loose, he's going to leave and continue to be a violent piece of trash. That's just the way it goes. They want that to happen. Why? They want you to feel unsafe. They want you to feel as if everything is chaotic and it's unsafe and I, I don't like any of this. That's because you need to feel that way before you'll ever willingly give a communist power. Happy, content, safe-feeling people would never willingly choose communism in a million years. The only people who have ever willingly chose communism were people who were stuck in some horrible situation and the communists presented themselves as some beacon of light. The communists in America are no different. They are actively trying to burn America to the ground. They want to. They love it. They're not looking right now at all these violent criminals. Even Waukesha, that, that terrorist, he, right before he mowed down 60 people with his SUV, he got sprung for like $1,000 from jail. They looked at that and thought, nice. Don't believe me? It was your president after that. Why hasn't the president visited the members of this Christmas parade attack? Obviously, any president going to visit a community requires a lot of assets, requires taking their resources, and uh, it's not something that I have a trip previewed at this plan point in time, but we remain in touch with local officials, and certainly our, our hearts are with the community as they've gone through such a difficult time. Oh, you can tell she's busted up over it. Well, that's weird because... He had no problem visiting Kenosha once that piece of trash Jacob Blake was shot. That's funny. That's so odd. And, I mean, you have news organizations like CNN. They're putting out headlines saying a... Let me have this. Let me see if I have this right. A car killed all those people. See that? A car drove through the parade. Did you know it was just some random car? It certainly wasn't a vile, violent, multi-time felon racist black nationalist with Black Lives Matter all over his social media, anti-white posts all over his social media. He gets revved up from these scumbags and gets in his car and goes and mows down 60 white people. And he mows them down on purpose. And look, Ilhan Omar and AOC, they're super mad right now because Lauren Boebert came out and made a little crack at, at Ilhan Omar. And they're out there calling it the Ku Klux Klan caucus and everything else. They don't miss a beat. We just had some racist black nationalist piece of trash respond to rhetoric just like this. And he responded by murdering people. An eight-year-old boy died there. Eight years old. Adorable boy. Right there. Eight years old. That's Jackson Sparks is his name. He got mowed down by a black nationalist in a parade because of the rhetoric of AOC and Ilhan Omar and every piece of trash on the media who blamed white supremacy for Kyle Rittenhouse's verdict. I am assigning blame. I do blame these people for what they did. It is their fault. It is their fault. I was told 10,000 times that Donald Trump's rhetoric caused January 6th. They impeached him over it. That what Donald Trump said caused it. Fine. If we're in the rhetoric game, then we're officially in the rhetoric game. AOC is directly responsible for those murders in Waukesha. 
Ilhan Omar is directly responsible. Joe Biden, you murdered those people. Media people, all of you out there, white supremacy this and white supremacy that. Kyle Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. You're murderers, multi-time murderers. You enabled that terrorist. Oh, oh, does that make you uncomfortable? I thought rhetoric caused violence. Does your rhetoric not cause violence? Oh, please, we all know what the game is. We know what the game is. You're fine with violence. You love violence as long as it's people who oppose you getting killed. That's the truth of the matter. That is the truth. We have a media and pundit class of communists in this country who actively encourage violent, vile pieces of filth to murder people. We have DAs out there, Soros-funded DAs in places like Philadelphia, across the nation, turning loose violent criminals so they'll murder people. We have enablers of murder in positions of power in this country, and it's disgusting, and it better stop, and it better stop soon, or we're in trouble. Oh, I know what the game is. Oh, I'm assigning blame now. Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play this game. I remember all the Nazi, white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan, caucus stuff. Oh, that's fine. Let's play that game, communist. Let's play that game. I'm officially in. You ready? I'm ready. We got a great special for you tonight. We have a bunch of great guests. Uh, uh, this crime stuff fires me up. It is a big, big, big deal. We'll be back. Well, this is always a treat to me. We've had him on before. Joining me now is Moses Castillo. He's a decorated, retired LAPD detective. So, yeah, he's seen a thing or two, and he has a great podcast, which I would recommend, the Blue Line Podcast with Detective Moses. Detective, before we get into everything else, let's just address something right out of the gates. I have obviously a bunch of friends who are in law enforcement, some current, some former and when we've had a couple beers late at night, they get awfully honest. And what almost all of them will tell me is, hey, Jesse, I don't want to ruin lives early. But we know when we patrol these neighborhoods, we can spot it early. A guy who honestly should be locked up forever because he's been locked up four times. And everyone knows who the bad guys are and they won't let us do it. And they express frustration. Has that been your experience? The same guys commit all the crimes? Absolutely. And we're talking about gang members. We're talking about the Bloods, the Crips, uh, and it's happening throughout our nation in cities like Los Angeles, Austin, New York, New York Chicago, just to name a few. It's out of control. And I, and I blame this on the soft on crime approach and the rogue DAs who are advocating more for criminals and those accused of crime than for victims. After the Waukesha massacre, terrorist attack, I mean, I don't, I don't care what label you put on it. It was absolutely atrocious. The next day, Congresswoman AOC got online and started pressing New York City for more bail reform. Now, I, I, I'm worried about the, what the answer to this question might be, but in the eyes of a seasoned detective, is that insanity, stupidity, malice? When you go out the next day and advocate for multi multiple time felons to be released back on the streets, you're advocating for violence, are you not? Absolutely, and that's what I'm talking about. Uh, we need uh, elected officials to uh, uh, support law-abiding citizens that pay taxes, support law enforcement, and stop advocating for criminals. It's crazy, it's insane. I just can't believe that we're actually having this discussion where they're advocating more for the rights of the criminals than for the victims. It's just crazy. It's really, it's frustrating because 
we see these uh, individuals come out after committing uh, crimes of domestic violence, crimes of theft, then they come out and commit crazy acts like this, like this is evil, this is murder and intentional acts, and it, it could have been prevented. Moses, explain this to me. Uh, everyone talks about L.A., or everyone talks about New York and L.A. and these big cities, but when you brought up the DAs, people do not realize how widespread the DA problem is. It's not just Philly and L.A. and New York. Uh, virtually all of our major cities now have these DAs, I mean, like Gascon and Los Angeles, who just right. simply believe, turn the crooks loose. Did this happen yesterday? I mean, I don't remember it always being like this. It seems like this is a recent thing. It is recent. You know, what I'm, what I'm learning after doing my research, it's George Soros is behind this 100%. Uh, he's, he's advocating and campaigning and, and funding these uh, quote-unquote progressive DAs. There's nothing progressive about them. It's regressive, and it's just crazy. And uh, what he does, he waits, you know, well, these uh, DAs who are on campaign, wait towards like the middle of the campaign, and then he funds it like crazy, so it goes under the radar, and then these, these DAs get up you know, get elected, and the law-abiding citizens, the victims, they're the ones that suffer. So now it's time to recall these DAs, get them out of the office, because they're just more of a public safety crisis for all of us. What is the solution to lowering crime? You know what? It's getting behind your law enforcement, getting behind your police officers. Let them do their job. Let them do what they're, you know, hired to do, and that is to arrest criminals, put them behind bars, and then we need to get them tough on crime approach. We can't just be soft and let them come back to reoffend. These these smashing grabs that you see throughout our country, these are gang members, bloods, cribs, young teenagers, and because some of them are underage, all they get is a slap in the wrist and they're out again. So we need to be tough on crime and, and let us do our job. Moses. These smashing grabs, you just brought them up. The violence, I mean, the headlines are all over the place. Here's something I've been worried about for quite some time. I'm worried about our big cities with these left-wing DAs that you brought up. I'm worried about them just descending into hell holes, not just because of the DAs, but because good cops who want to go out there and do some good, they feel handcuffed, they feel pardoned the pun, and they're packing it up and they're moving to Florida or places like that. They're moving to places where they are supported. And so now you have a big city with a crime problem and the good cops are leaving. Is that a valid concern? Absolutely. They are leaving. They are, they, they not only are, the, you know, some of them are just quitting. Some of them are retiring. Some of them are finding other professions. And it's really sad, you know, and, and our victims, our innocent people are, are caught in the crossfire. We just had a, a security a retired police officer up in Oakland uh, being security for a news media, he was shot and killed trying to protect the news crews. So nobody's safe. And, you know, it's sad that, you know, when when is it going to be enough is enough. And I think I've reached my breaking point. Like I said, we need to get behind our law enforcement officers, let them do their job, put these guys behind uh, prison. That's where they belong. And then our communities will be safe again. Moses, appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be back. Joining me now, my friend Will Chamberlain. He is the senior counsel at the Internet Accountability Project and also the co-publisher of The Great Human Events, which I would highly recommend to everybody. Will 
All right, before we get into the specifics of Philly and New York and Chicago and everything, we obviously have a major violent crime uptick in this country. Uh, the numbers are staggering. Cities like Portland are over 100% increase in homicides. On a macro level, Will, how did this happen? Um, I mean, you, you obviously a combination of factors. I think first you obviously have um, the coronavirus pandemic massively reducing the extent to which people were out on the street walking around and, and essentially basic policing like that. That's just something I noticed living in, in D.C. that once very safe or, or neighborhoods that felt very safe just because there's so much foot traffic, police presence, et cetera, suddenly felt very unsafe um, after COVID because the only people out on the street there just weren't a, there just wasn't enough foot traffic out in the street so you could easily get feel like you could get robbed or harassed um so that's and also just a lot of you know idle hands are the devil's work kind of thing i mean essentially people being out of work and you know feeling more out of school or you know any number of truancy things so that that's a contributing factor but the other big contributing factor obviously is the generalized hostility towards policing in this country and i think one thing that's pretty consistent found in most of the studies is that having police on the streets police presence that's a big contributor to reduce crime um and when you make police the enemy and when you make it make essentially the general public hostile to their local police departments and 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 the police themselves want to you know not be as aggressive and and get out there as much that leads to a massive uptick in crime um and so that you know that's just a couple that are obvious right covid covid changed the you know that's that's you can't blame necessarily the government for everything related to covid and how that affected crime, but you certainly can look at the hostility towards policing and say that's a big factor. Yeah, and it's and it's awful. And I mean, these are real lives lost. Philadelphia has already passed 500, making it the worst year mm -hmm. ever. It's just a 500. It sounds like a city in a in Mexico having a cartel war. I mean, 500 is a staggering number. You brought up the anti-police thing. Why did such a high percentage, and we can argue over what that percentage is, but it was a significant enough percentage of this country sign on right away to this cops are the enemy stuff. What, what, what primed that? I remember being shocked by it last year, Will. Not, not that there were some activist communists who, who jumped on that. That's how they are. But that so many other relatively normal people were all of a sudden, yeah, cops do suck. Where'd that come from? Yeah, it turns out we were, you know, we're in government by viral video, right? I think the, the effect of the George yeah. Floyd video was sufficient to scare people off, even normal Republicans, off of very sound and reasonable positions when it came to policing. Um, and so, you know, we got to the point where defund the police was actually a serious slogan for a second, police abolition, uh, I mean, and and very, very bizarre, bail, like a very aggressive bail reform. Um and, and essentially the idea that we apparently most of us ignore the fact that San Francisco you know, has managed to unsolve most of its basic governance issues in the last 10 to 15 years, problems that had been solved by you know, Western civilization for about 200 managed to get unsolved by San Francisco in a matter of five years. Um, and, and, and that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. We're, we're dealing with kind of progressivism run, run riot. And I think Hopefully, the sort of backlash to that has has reminded conservatives, you know, that you know maybe it's good to have a spine on this stuff. Well, speaking of backlash to that, has there been a backlash in those areas? Though I know nationally, and as soon as you leave the cities, these big cities, there has been. You saw the big election wins in Virginia. I mean, New Jersey state senate candidates. So there was that. But in a place like New York, Philadelphia, San Francisco. 
I, I've been waiting for it for a few years now, Will, for this to bounce back, for normal people to say, this is enough. We, we got we're, we got to change. I haven't seen it. Have I missed it? Not in, I mean, not in San Francisco. You could maybe argue that it's happened a little bit in New York because Eric Adams, the new Democrat mayor, is much more in the sort of moderate vein than, than, than certainly somebody like a communist like Bill de Blasio. Like Eric, Eric Adams was, you know, essentially trying to court a lot of the, the you know, sort of moderate Republicans in the city. And, and he was, I think, you know, formally, I think he was a former police chief. If not, he, he definitely has a good relation, a much better relationship with the police than de Blasio. But San Francisco, on the other hand, has just continued to double down on some of the worst governance policies imaginable. Um, Michael Schellenberger had a really good book that I'm actually in the middle of reading now called San Francisco. I think it came out a month or two ago. And it's just, it's excellent at detailing like the the total insanity of, of what San Francisco has done, how it's decided to handle its homeless population. I mean, um, they basically have, you know, created these just mass open air drug markets. Uh, entire neighborhoods are like effectively seated um, and to, and you just have wild, large numbers of highly addicted, mentally ill homeless people on the streets and making the making the city just completely unsafe. I mean, this is this is third world stuff, um, and and I think it, it's just it's tragic, really, because you know these cities should be great cities. These should they should be. You know, we are an extraordinarily wealthy country, the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and our our cities should be beacons of light. And instead, they're just cesspools. It is true. It is so sad too. And I while I actually it's one of the few places I haven't been. I was told years ago that San Francisco was the most beautiful American city, that it was just picturesque and gorgeous, and now I'm told there's poop running down the sidewalk, so not quite as beautiful as it was. Will, what's cashless bail? I, my understanding of cashless bail is the idea that somehow um, either basically a certain category of criminal defendants who have been indicted should be remanded. I will give them that. They're not saying everybody, you know, you get accused of murder, you should be able to walk free in the street. But then for those who are not, the idea that is that it's unfair that anyone not have to not be able to afford their bail or that there is inequity between those who can afford to put up bail and those who can't. So the conclusion goes, uh, everyone should be essentially bailed out without, you know, without cash, right? That they shouldn't have to put up any money. Now, you know, we talked earlier about unsolving problems. Cash bail has been around for well before the American founding. It's a basic, one of those problems that was solved hundreds of years ago by courts who had to figure out how to make sure that defendants would show up to their court date without holding them in prison the entire time. Um, and without significant cash bail, without the ability of the criminal defendant to put up something and say, I will forfeit this if I don't show up, um, courts couldn't be confident that people would show up and actually face justice. Um, and, and courts need to be able to do that because otherwise, you know, the people can just run off and evade and evade the criminal justice system when they even when they do horrible things. Um, it's one of these bizarre, silly ideas. Uh, I, I think it, it, it's just it's it's very, very strange. And it's very it's incredibly arrogant and it's arrogant and ahistorical. It's people who think that the entire way that the American that society, Western society has run for hundreds of years and an evolved solution to a very basic problem facing justice systems is just totally immoral and wrong and we need to scrap it all and try something brand new that's never been tested before it's dumb it's dumb i have a little video here one i'm sure you've seen here's for everyone else here's george floyd's nephew talking about the jurors and the rittenhouse case 
I ain't even gonna name the people that I know that's up in the, in the Kenosha. I mean, in the Kenosha trial. But there's cameras in there. Yep. It's definitely cameras up in there, and there's definitely people taking pictures of the juries and everything like that. We know what's going on. So we need the same results, man. We need the same results. Justice for Dante Wright. Justice for Austin. Will, this thing is not going to go away, apparently. This has become a consistent thing now where the left, the communist street agitators, get deeply involved and start intimidating jurors. And it's one thing for you or I to get threats. That's pretty much, you know, that comes with the business. Innocent people serving on a jury are not, cannot possibly be expected to stand up to that kind of intimidation and shouldn't be expected to. No, and it's a crime, right? Like, I think it, it's, it says something that that guy wasn't immediately um, essentially subpoenaed. I mean, maybe they don't know exactly what, what he's doing, but he was immediately brought in for uh, a police interview to explain exactly what he meant by people were taking pictures of jurors. Juror intimidation undermines the basic commitment we have to due process under law and the fairness of trials by jury, right? Especially to get a conviction, it's a very, it undermines the protection facing criminal defendants, which is something, you know, I think is very important, even as someone who, you know, is generally like we, you know, law and order, we need to punish criminals. I also very, very strongly believe in the importance of due process in the, in the criminal justice system. And so if criminal defendants are, are being railroaded um, by jurors who are terrified for their lives, that's that's not due process, that's not fairness, and, and we shouldn't stand for it. You know, that's that's not America. That's not that's not what we we're working here to protect and that, that we're fighting to preserve. Um, so it's it's appalling and I uh, you know, then the question is, well, what do we do about it? Well, why isn't there a federal civil rights investigation of this right now? Like when Republicans take power, there needs to, you know, they should reinvestigate all this stuff. This guy, this this nephew should be, you know, investigated, subpoenaed. And, and essentially whatever there is, any sort of juror intimidation, any even, you know, scheme to intimidate jurors, sounds like could a federal criminal conspiracy to me and something that could be punished by jail time. Will Chamberlain, everyone. Thank you, Will. Appreciate it, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back. Joining me now, my friend Drew Holden. He's a writer. He's one of the best out there at holding these scumbags in this country accountable for things they've said, horrible things they've said in the past. Drew, first and foremost, before we get to DeSantis and Philly and everything else, I actually think it's awful for a nation for cities to descend into hell holes like they are right now. I know a lot of people are anti-city. I like the country and the city. But I think it's just awful what's happened here. 500 murders already, over 500 murders in Philadelphia. Yeah. Dude, that, that sounds like Juarez. That sounds like yeah. Kandahar. That's in the United States of America, man. That That's a disgrace. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm, I'm biased. I live in a city, and, you know, here in D.C., we've, we've recently crossed the 200 murder threshold. I think it's the earliest that's happened since 1990, right, oh. at the height of the crack epidemic. But, yeah, I mean, just more broadly, the fact that American cities from coast to coast have been overwhelmed by surges of murder. It bears horribly on the, the well-being and standing of this country. Drew, I'm sure you know the answer to this question. 
why is there simply no coverage of it? I mean, we're going to get to Waukesha in a second. I'm not even talking about that. But honestly, in a major American city, D.C., over 200 murders, 500 in Philly, San Francisco's a disaster. They're up over 100% in Portland. This is a, gosh, a pandemic. I hate to use that word, but it's a big deal. There's no media coverage. No, there's none. And, and Jesse, I mean, it's interesting, too, when you think back about how it did. We did actually see a little bit of coverage in terms of spiking murders under President Trump because they had somebody they could blame. Oh, of course. Right? As, as long as he was in office, we could point to whatever conditions we wanted to and say, aha, this must be Trump's fault that in all of these cities that didn't vote for him, there is spiraling crime surges. Uh, but now we've run out of those options, right? In most of these places, you've got cities that, I mean, like Chicago, I think, has had a, a, a Democratic mayor for, what, 60 years? I mean, a, lot of these, a lot of these cities and states, it's the same thing. All the way down, any systemic force you want to look at What's driving these are failed liberal policies, and that's not a convenient narrative if what you've been saying all along is that Democrats have made inroads in terms of addressing crime and making things safer and, and, and you know generating more equity and all these other great and wonderful things that supposedly Democratic policies are doing. This is There's really no way to cover this one up. I mean, it's, it's a failure, and it's about as raw failure, I think, as we probably have right now in American policymaking. Drew, I'm going to play a clip for you. I'm sure you've seen it. This is Ron DeSantis talking about Waukesha. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. Uh, what was the motivation? Uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically. Should not have even been on the street. Uh, had clear anti-white animus. Uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This was an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. Let's just be clear. They are not wanting to cover this Wisconsin thing for what it is. They are not wanting the facts uh, to come out the way they are because the facts do not support their narrative. And it's all about pursuing partisan narratives. Drew, I, I have grown to view the press much more nefariously than I have in the past. I don't know, maybe I'm getting old and bitter and cynical, but I was always that guy. I mean, when Trump would say enemy of the people, I kind of cringed a little bit. Yeah. Ah, that's, that's probably too far. Drew, honestly, maybe you're going to call me a nutball, and that's fine. You're welcome to. We're friends. <laughs> I do think they are. I, I think they are a, an insurgent, hostile force on this nation. We just had a black nationalist mow down 60 white people on purpose, and they forgot about it in about 15 minutes. Yeah, just, yeah I mean, as, as one of the, I think, one of the, the diminishing few who are still manning the ramparts that the press are, uh, are mistaken rather than malicious, it's it's getting tough. It's getting tough to, to, to hold that line, right? I mean, when you, when you look at something like this, and I, I think the reason it's so jarring and so stunning isn't just the absence of coverage, right? That's bad enough. But then when you compare it to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Within two days, two days, the New York Times had dedicated four different reporters to write up a detailed 31 or 32 paragraph piece about his social media activity and about how it was problematic that he had praised police officers, right? That's what we're saying 
is is worth the time of the, the paper of record for the United States. That's what it was when the bad guy, maybe perhaps at least in their telling, fit a certain narrative. And then you've got a you've got an incident that is twice as deadly, where far more people are injured and wounded, where we don't have any answers coming out of it. And yet for some reason, there is no attempt to pursue any of this. There's not even there's not even a good faith attempt to ask a couple of questions. It really has completely disappeared from mainstream coverage. And it's impossible to say that that's happening in good faith when you have a parallel example where the opposite happened that was so recent. Okay, Drew, then what's the reason from a more reasonable person? Because when I look at it, I I see it very plainly, but that doesn't mean I'm right. I look at that and I think the American media is really okay with a bunch of white people getting mowed down in Waukesha. Not that they're cheering for it, but they're really not bothered by it in the very least. That's what I see. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I think the thing that I, I, I cling to, and sometimes I really do wonder if I, I might be a little bit delusional to, to continue to believe this, given some of the evidence to the contrary. But to me, I think it's really about <laughs> blind spots, right? I think that when these sorts of things happen, yeah, they're bad, but they're far away. And I think it's easy for people who maybe at the end of the day don't actually care all that much about anyone to be able to look at something like this and let it go by the wayside. And the real animus to me is on the other side when they're using their investigative powers, when they're using the powers of the newspaper to push and drive a narrative. That, to me, feels even even more malicious. Whereas in this, it's like, yeah, whatever. It, it's violence, it's crime, it happened. I mean, I think we've seen, particularly over the last couple of years, that the media is increasingly comfortable not talking about crime, right? I think these two things, in a way, are, are interestingly connected. Because at the end of the day, if it doesn't really serve a compelling narrative, I think it just gets discarded. It's just that some instances of crime, uh, at least in the, the minds of the editors and the folks kicking around the newsroom, are a lot more effective at telling the story that they want to tell. Drew, I'm going to play you a little cut. I'm sure you've seen it, but the whole defund the police thing, a lot of people seem to have forgotten about that now. Can we agree that we can redirect some of the funding? Yes. I do believe that we need to reallocate resources away. So yes, defund your butts. The city council passed the New York City budget, which includes redistributing $1 billion from the NYPD budget. Yes, I support the reallocation of resources uh, from NYPD. We have to reimagine public safety. Not only do we need to disinvest for in police, but we need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. The Austin City Council making major cuts to the Austin Police Department, voting to slash about $150 million from APD. Yes, I support a radical reimagining of community safety and public safety, which means reallocating um, and, and not further investing in a carceral state. And so when we dismantle it, We get rid of that cancer. The city council gave preliminary approval to cutting officers, and they say more cuts are on the way. Mayor Eric Garcetti saying, take some of the money from policing, about $150 million, invest it in health initiatives, training initiatives for youth. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. Drew, obviously we know about what's currently going on, but I remember sitting back last year watching all that carnage and thinking to myself, okay, nutballs like this are always comfortable being nutballs privately. How did we get to a place as a country where people got so comfortable saying insane things in public and it was like it happened Uh, overnight? It's true. I mean, it's, I think some of it is people do kind of get caught up in the moment, right? I mean, listening back to the 
to, to uh, you know, Representative uh, Ilan Omar was saying. I mean, it's, it, it's jarring, right? It's enough to, like, jump you out of your chair to think, I, I can't believe anyone could be caught saying those sorts of things. Forget someone who's elected to represent the interests and well-being of their people. So I think that's part of it, right? I think back around the, you know, the killing of George Floyd, there's a lot of this narrative, and we were, we, I think folks were spinning, I think the media was spinning, I think the chattering class. They were all kind of throwing out these radical solutions, and no one really thought they would kind of catch on, and uh, they thought that they could say these kind of ridiculous things, and then they'd, they'd sink into the Twitter backdrop. Uh, but they haven't, right? The, the, there have been a lot of advocates who have pushed, you know, unfortunately, really effectively to say, you have to put action to these words. And so we've seen slowly it has started to creep up. And, and they, they use these, these insidious sort of framings, right? Reimagining public safety. Yeah. Like, like, to me, safety is one of those things where, sure, there might be creative ways to improve safety, but that's just a that's just a coverall term for doing things that on their face are ridiculous. They strike people as ridiculous. And it's incredible to me, too, because we have a lot of compelling public polling about what people think about police funding. There's a, there was really good research a few months back out of Detroit about how a, the overwhelming percentage of people, particularly African-Americans in the Detroit area, wanted to either keep police funding level or increase police funding. And we've seen that all across the country. Nobody actually wants to do this stuff other than Democratic elected politicians and a few really radical advocates. No one wants this stuff. But they're doing it anyway because they know they can get away with it. Because the media is going to sweep this one under the rug. The idea that defund the police was something that anyone said will be a conspiracy theory here in six months. And so they don't actually have to worry yeah. about, about the things that they're doing and saying. Yeah, Drew Holden, everybody. Drew, thank you, my brother. Jesse, pleasure's mine. Thanks, sir. All right. We'll be back. What you're seeing right now going on across the United States of America is intentional. Intentional. Do not let your good nature convince yourself that this is just an accident. Oh, it's just a whoopsie. Violent criminals are being sprung from jails across the United States of America, so they will go commit more acts of violence. And rest assured, maybe you're not a city person. If you're not, that's fine. I like the city. I like the country. I like it all. Maybe you're not a city person. But rest assured... The condition of your cities, it is part of what makes up your nation. We are the United States of America. We're supposed to be this beacon of light for the world. And we have cities like Philadelphia where over 500 people have been murdered this year alone. Chicago, we don't even want to talk about that. Our biggest cities, some of our most historic cities have become murder capitals. It's embarrassing, and it's being done on purpose. I keep telling you these people are communists, that they destroy things on purpose. They're communists, and they're destroying us on purpose. We had better start getting involved in these DA races. We better start getting these dirt balls out of office, and we had better do it soon because these are real lives. These are real souls. These are real lives who are dying across this country, and the communist is not slowing down. He's not looking around saying, whoopsie! This didn't work out well. He's looking around saying, nice, people are dying. That's how he thinks. All right, we'll do it again.
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.